tonight. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to continue in Romans. We are going to be in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Uh, We're going to be 13 verse 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, We would encourage you to open that one up with us. Um, Reading God's Word is uh, so powerful that that is... Uh, God says that His Word is how we grow in faith, how we, how we have faith to begin with. God uses His Word to bring forth faith, to grow us in faith. And so we would love for you to read that. If you need a Bible, take the blue one home with you. If you know someone who needs a Bible, take the blue one to them. We would love, 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 love to be a part of that. Um, Romans chapter 13, big number 13, little number 8. Little number 8. Um, we're going to talk about debt today. Uh, not the debt that you might be thinking about, um, so take a deep breath. Uh, this is my first experience with, with the concept of debt. When I was six, seven, eight, maybe nine, I remember watching March Madness with my dad. And I was a big basket. I loved basketball. That was the one sport that I wanted to play. Uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. And so as we watched March Madness, I was enthralled by the player on one team. I don't remember anything else about him, but his nickname was Big Country. Now, if you're a seven or eight-year-old, you hear a guy named Big Country, you think, ain't nobody going to beat that guy. And so what I did, I said, Dad, I will bet you 50 cents that big country beats all of them, and he's going to win this game. I was so sure. And I'm sure you can imagine what ends up happening. Big country let me down, and I still haven't got over it. He let me down. I, I lost. I, in a few moments, I realized big country let me down, and I realized that I owed my dad 50 cents. And as any tough eight-year-old would do, what do you think I did? I started crying. The weight of that 50 cents was so heavy, I couldn't believe it. Oh my goodness. I can't remember if my dad made me pay him or not. He probably did. But I remember crying, probably cried for an hour. The weight of that 50 cents was so heavy. Oh, all the things I could. I probably only had 75 cents at the time. He took almost all of it. The weight of that 50 cents as an eight-year-old was really, really heavy. But today we're going to talk about the weightiest debt that I owe. I'm not talking about my mortgage. I'm not talking about car payment. We owe a weighty debt to every person on the planet. And Paul is going to tell the Roman church in chapter 13, you remember, he spends 11 chapters talking about God's mercy for us and His love for us. And then in 12.1 it switches. Do you remember? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he spends the rest of, and what we've spent is when he spends his time in the last few chapters of this letter to that church in Rome, he tells us what a sacrificed life looks like in view of God's mercy. And Paul is going to tell us today in view of God's mercy, we owe an infinite love debt to everyone that we must pay off in every area of our life. That's where we're going. Christian, in view of God's great love for you, in view of His mercies for you, we owe every person on the planet an infinite love debt. 
Let me show you why this is true. Let's read together. We're actually going to take a step back into verse 7. Verse 7 is very important for this context. Let's go 7. We're going to read to 10. It goes like this. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And we're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. Okay. We all owe an infinite love debt to every person on the planet that we will pay, that we pay towards in every area of our life. But before we begin, we need to go back to that all-important phrase that Paul uses to begin this section, in view of God's mercy. If we're ever going to talk about the things that we should be doing for God, if we're ever going to be talking about the sacrifices that we lift up toward God, here, here's my body, this is what, I, this is what I'm going to do for you, before we ever talk about that, we need to show the motivation for our good works. Lest we fall into self-righteousness, thinking, well, I love people because I'm a good person, or I make these sacrifices because I'm a good person. No! Paul says we do these things in view of God's mercy. That's the motivation. In view of God's mercy. We need to frame this discussion And we need to frame everything in life in view of God's mercy, including this love debt that we owe everyone. And so Paul has already wrote to this church in Rome, and he said, behold God's love for you. In verse 5, he's going to say, look at how much God loves you. And this is what he writes. So you got to think about this. The church in Rome is sitting, listening to this letter being read. So you got a group like this, and the elder, the pastor, gets up and he says, we have a letter from the Apostle Paul. Let me read this to you. And so we're, we're reading it. And so chapter 5 is in their minds, and it goes like this. God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. For at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. For a good man, someone might possibly die. But God has proven His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from wrath through Him? For if when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Isn't that amazing? 
And you've got to think this church is hearing this. And they don't have all the New Testament that we have. And so they've got the Old Testament. They've got, they've got the apostles. They've got some letters. And, the, and he's just spreading this out. He's saying, look at what the Old Testament is leading toward. That this God who creates the universe, who is all-powerful, you were his enemy. And in his great mercy, Jesus Christ died for you. Think about what that does to you. I've been in church my whole life. It's, it's easy to just say, well, yeah, of course, I know that. But think about hearing that in those words for the first time. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. God has poured out his love into our hearts through God the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. So God's love is in our hearts. It's been poured out in our hearts. God the Holy Spirit, who has loved his enemies this way, God the Holy Spirit is now in our hearts. Therefore, we will love like God loves. And how do we see God love? He tells them, chapter, chapter 5, he tells them, God the Son dies for his enemies. Sacrificial love. Unmerited love. You know what that means? Undeserved love. That's how God loves. And so, what is our response? What is our response to that as believers? In view of God's mercy, offer yourself up totally to this God. And Paul is going to say, in view of God's love for you, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself up and realize that you owe an infinite love debt to everyone on the planet at all times and in every situation, period. Why? Because God's love is in our hearts. And God, the Holy Spirit, is in our hearts. And we have seen His love for us. And so, understanding that, Paul gets into Romans 13. And the, the question for us today is, to whom do we owe this debt? To whom do we owe this debt? That's the first place to start. With this view of God's mercy, he says, owe no one anything but to love each other. Owe no one anything but to love everyone. This love of God that's been poured in our hearts is this transformative. That this Holy Spirit that indwells our hearts, He lives in us like a man would live in a tent. That's the idea. He indwells us. God the Holy Spirit lives in us. That is transformative. That changes my heart. We will love like God loves. How does God love? God so loved the world. John 3.16 We will to be transformed this way, have God's love in our hearts and the Holy Spirit in our hearts means we will love the church. John 13, 34 says, love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. So we start out close. This is how God, to whom God is loved. Well, God tells us to love the church. Close to us, easy to understand most of the time. Well, yeah, I can love my church. But we are also to love people way out there, even our enemies. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And how does our Father love our enemies? Even sinners, bad people, uh, people going to hell, how does God love them? For He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God loves our enemies. He gives them common grace. Your enemy can enjoy a sunset or a sunrise. Your enemy can enjoy rain because God loves them. Jesus continues and says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? How hard is that? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Those are like the worst sinners people could imagine in Israel, the tax collectors. And he ends that passage. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Because your Father in heaven loves your enemies. So if you want to be like your Father in heaven, you're going to love your enemy. And guess what, Christian? You and I have the love of God in our hearts. We have God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling in us. So we are going to love like our Father. And this is how our Father loves. Love our enemies. And he ends it this way. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We need Jesus, don't we? Because we can't be perfect now. But that's the goal. Love your enemies like Jesus loves them. Love your enemies like Jesus has loved you because you were once His enemies. So, God's love in the heart of the believer, empowered by the Holy Spirit in our heart, will so transform our hearts that we will feel a weight of a love debt for everyone in the world, from the church to our enemies. Because that is how God has loved us. And that is how God loves them. So Paul says, Paul says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. So if that's the who, who do I love this way? Everyone. Then the question is, through what? What does it mean to love my enemies? What does it mean to love people this way? What does it mean to pay on this debt that I could never really pay? What does it mean? When do I do these things? How often do I do these things? And in my sinfulness I say, how can I make sure I, I love my enemies at just the bottom line? I don't want to do too much. When can I stop? That's what I want to know. When are we to love them? In what sphere of life am I to love everyone? When can I not feel the weight of my debt? Owe no one anything except to love one another. Owe no one anything. Before we answer that question, through what? We need to talk about what Paul is saying here. Owe no one anything. What's he saying? What's he saying there? There's all kinds of different ways we could go with this. He's, he's not saying, we know this to be sure, he's not saying Christians are free from every other kind of debt. If you'll remember a few weeks back when we started with Romans 13, you had a group of Christians who said, hey, I don't got to pay my taxes to Caesar. I'm a, kingdom of, I'm a child of the kingdom of God. I don't need to pay my taxes. Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you pay your taxes. 
And so there was this idea that says, I am a Christian, therefore I'm free from owing anyone anything. That's one way we could take this few, ver- few words, but that's not the right way. Because we know that Paul just told us, no, you do owe taxes, pay them. You do owe respect, pay them. You do owe honor, pay them. You do owe revenue, pay them. That's why we read verse 7, seven right? Let's read it together again. Verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. As we study the Bible, context is king. Could you see how somebody starts with verse 8 and says, oh, no, and anything. And then we say, oh, that's great, so I don't have to pay my taxes. Could you see how somebody could do that? Context, read before, read after. So he's not saying that. He's also not saying Christians never owe anyone anything because owing is a sin. He's not, he's not saying that. He's not saying don't borrow a cup of sugar. He's not saying don't borrow a lawnmower. He's not saying that. He's not saying don't go into debt. That might be a wise thing. That might be better We can be sinful in taking in debt, can't we? I don't think he's saying that. Now some godly men and women take this to mean that, but I don't don't think that's where Paul is going here. Why? Why do we think that he's not saying, Christian, you can never take out debt? Why never owe somebody anything? Why is he not saying that? Well, again, there are good things that we owe people. I owe you honor. That's a good thing. Paul says we owe taxes. Paying your taxes is a good thing. We owe people lots of good things. Paul says don't commit adultery. What does that mean for me? I owe faithfulness to my wife. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. We even have Jesus, the King of Kings, reinforcing that we will have obligations to owe people we will have debts to pay when he pays he he tells people to pay to caesar what is caesar's they come they try to trick him they say jesus should we pay caesar caesar is is funding the roman army to come and take over the temple do all this crazy stuff should good people pay taxes jesus takes coins says whose face is on there well caesar's give to caesar what is caesar's give to god what is god's jesus says paying taxes is good it's not a bad thing We even have Jesus paying a temple tax. Even all the Jews would would pay once a year a temple tax so the temple could be kept up. And Jesus pays it. And the crazy thing is, Jesus is the King of Kings! But He pays His temple tax. So no, I don't think Paul is saying owing people anything is always sinful. I don't think that's what he's doing. I don't think this, this answer goes fully all the way there. I think this is a partial answer. Let your only outstanding debt be a debt of love. That's one way some people take this. Make your only outstanding debt be a debt of love. In other words, in all other debts, pay them off quickly. But then you can never fully pay off your love debt. Which that's true, we can never fully pay off our love debt. But that's not the only debt we can never fully pay off. So I don't think that goes fully the way there. Yes, we 
you get your, your taxes and you owe $1,000, write that check, send it out, get out from under it. That's a good thing. That's a, that's a good thing. That's a righteous thing to do. Pay your debts. That's a good thing. But there are other debts that are always being owed, not just love. We know that because Paul told us a verse ago, pay honor to whom those you are indebted honor to. And I'm looking out at, I don't know, 60 people to whom I owe honor every day. I can never look at, at Mark and go, okay, well, I'll hold the door open for Mark after you, and then, whew, I'm good. I'm glad I'm over. that's over. I'll never have to honor him again for another month. That's not how honor works. Paul says, last week we said, outdo one another in honor. After you, after you. Let me clean that. You go over here. Let me get your food. Let me park way far back. Outdo one another in honor. That We never pay that out. We never finish owing honor to our parents. Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. We'll never pay that off. So I think that's a partial answer, but I don't think that's the full one. So I don't believe he's saying Christians are free from from owing anything to anyone except love. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying owing anything is a sin. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't believe this fully finds it. Pay your debts quickly and only let love be your outstanding debt. I don't think that's what he is saying. He says, owe and pay off these debts that you've occurred from taxes and revenue and honor and respect. Pay those off. And then he says, owe no one anything except to love each other. This is what I think he's saying. Christian, in view of God's mercy, let everything you do be done to pay off your love debt. In other words, Christian, in view of God's love for you, your debt of love is due all people at all times in every area of life. In other words, everything you do, Christian, is to be done in love. Everything. So Paul would be saying, pay your taxes in love. Pay your honor in love. Pay respect in love. And I could know why he would need to tell me that. Because there's sometimes I don't want to honor or respect the governor or the president or the mayor or the deacon or you or my wife. There's sometimes I don't feel like doing that. And so what might I do? Honor her, but I'm not going to like it. You see what I mean? So Paul is saying honor in that way that is cold, that is checklist, is not the goal. We pay off honor because we are paying off our debt to love. Every other debt Paul mentioned is really a debt of love because everything is a matter of love. Christian, in view of God's love for us, our love for others is all-encompassing. It encompasses. This is how all-encompassing it is. It encompasses when I write that check to my taxes. Love is involved there too. So he's saying, don't compartmentalize. Don't itemize. Don't separate. There's not a 
tax part of my life. There's not an honor part of my life. There's not a respect part of my life. There's not a revenue part of my life. And then over here is my love part. And as soon as I could go boom, boom, boom down the line and finally I get to love and then I'll pay off love. That's not how it works. We need to not think we owe anything but love. Taxes are love. Respect is love. Honor is love. Everything we do is under the banner of love. You owe your coworkers love. There's not your love section of life and then your work section of life. You owe them love. You owe your next door neighbor love. You owe your family love. You owe your spouse love. You owe your governor love. You owe your Caesar love. You owe Trump love. You owe Obama love. You owe your enemy love. So he's saying, chapter 13 was all about submitting to the government. Honor the governor. Honor Caesar because you owe Caesar honor. But you must do so in love. When you submit to the government, it's an act of love. When you pay your taxes, it's an act of love. When you respect Caesar, it's an act of love. When you pay honor to Caesar, it's an act of love. In other words, we can never set our obligation to love aside. We don't take our love hat off, put our taxes hat on. We don't take our love hat off and put our church hat on. We don't take our love hat off and put our work hat on. We must never declare, I owe honor to the governor, so I will honor him, but not in love. We must never say to Caesar, I will owe honor to Caesar, but I will not, not in love. We must never say, I will honor my parents, but not in love. Paul will wrap all of this up in one verse in 1 Corinthians 16. And he'll say it this way. Let all that you do be done in love. All that you do. And writing that tax check is a really good example because that seems like something that's so far removed from love, doesn't it? First of all, I don't like doing it. Second of all, lots of times I don't like the government I'm sending this check to. So it's a great example. Even when you write your tax check, write it in love. Why? Why must we see our life this way? Why must we believe that we owe all people everywhere love and payment is made on every part of our life? Why? Why must we believe in view of God's love for us, our debt of love is due to all people? Why must we believe that our debt of love is due at all times? Why must we believe that our debt of love is due in every area of our life, even taxes? Why? Because when we do everything out of love, 
we bring the law of God to its desired outcome. Read with me verse 8 again. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The law of God is fulfilled when His followers, when His sons and daughters, when the followers of Jesus Christ, when Christians see every area of our lives as to a way to pay off our love debt to others, the law of God is fulfilled. <clears throat> Christian, when you understand that when you write that check because of God's love for you, His love poured into your heart, that you've been so transformed by it, that you write that check in love for whomever gets it, in love for them, if you do that out of love, when you do that, you are bringing the law of God to its best. We are fulfilling the law of God, being brought to its desired outcome. The law of God is brought to its desired outcome when believers see everyone and every area of life under the love of debt. That fulfills the law of God. The law of Moses then, the Ten Commandments, everything else in the Old Testament is about love. Adultery is a love issue. Murder is a love issue. Stealing is a love issue. Honoring mother and father is a love issue. Coveting is a love issue. That's true for every other area in life. Gossip is a love issue. Slander is a love issue. Pornography is a love issue. Sinful anger is a love issue. Pride is a love issue. Paul says that the entire law, everything that we're required to do for God can be summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. The Ten Commandments over here, spelled out, thought about, poked, prodded, cut. It's a great thing. It is the righteousness of God displayed. All of that is good. And then Paul says, we, get, we could supplant it this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when... Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference in saying, I, I have never cheated on my wife. So, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've never cheated on my wife. You see the difference in that and saying, I love my wife just like I love myself. And so I want to be faithful to her. Do you see the difference? Do you see how we could stumble into a cold, checklist Christianity here? Never cheated on my wife? Check. Never murdered anybody? Check. Never, haven't gossiped this week? Check. All this checklist Christianity. And do you see what God wants from us? The fulfillment of the law is not checklist Christianity. It is being so transformed by God's love for us that we love other people. Even when I write that tax check. 
So let's spell this out just in case we have a question about it. Why should we want to fulfill the law? Why should we want to fulfill the law of God? We long to fulfill the law of God out of a love for God. 2 John 1.6 And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. 1 John 5.3 For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. John 14.21 Whoever has My commandments and keeps them is the one who loves Me. When we see our lives as indebted to all people for love, we will be more obedient to our King who has loved us. And here's the important thing. It's not primarily about the other people. They're the recipients. But when we love people this way, it's primarily about God. Like everything else. It's about God. We owe others a debt because we owe God a debt. Isn't that amazing? And who has paid off our debt to God? Jesus. He's not going to come knocking on your door looking for payment. Your debt has been paid off by God. We should see our loving other people as our love for God. When I was in school, I took a class for missionaries. It's a world religion class. And this, this, the man teaching trained Southern Baptist missionaries for a long time. And he, he told us this, and it absolutely blew my mind. I think about it once a month. Missionaries don't become missionaries because you love people. People, especially in ministry, and especially in the hard areas we send our missionaries, people in those areas will become profoundly unlovable. Become a missionary because you love God and He loves those people. You see the difference? If you go home thinking, I'm going to love everybody in this, in this, because they're lovable, and I'm, I'm with it, preacher. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to love all these people, and I'm going to love it because they're lovable. If you're going to have that attitude, that's going to last about a week. Or you can hang out with me, it's going to last about 30 minutes. Because I am unlovable outside of Jesus Christ. So we love others because we love God. And He loves others. That's how how it works. That's how it works best. Paul is writing this command, oh, no one anything, but oh, everyone love. He's writing this to us because I often don't see my life this way. I reserve my love for a select group of people and for a select group of actions. My wife, I reserve my love for my wife. I reserve my love for my kids. I reserve my love for my family, my friends, my church. Some of us might say, I I reserve my love for Republicans or Democrats. We are called in no uncertain terms to love everyone as ourself. We see that over and over again. Good Samaritan. Jesus, one of the most famous parables of Jesus is, a, is about not how we love people, but it's about who we love. Jesus, who, who do I have to love? Who is my neighbor is the question. And Jesus says, everyone, even your enemies, is 
your neighbor. Love them like you love yourself. That's why Paul tells us this. Because I'm tempted to reserve my love for you, my church family, and not people outside. Paul tells us this because I like to reserve actions for love. Taxes, not love. Dealing with government, not love. Dealing with enemies, not love. But family stuff is love. Spouse stuff is love. Favorite football team is love. And I might be tempted to obey the government robotically. And can I be honest? Can we be honest? That's kind of where I've been. I'm tempted to say, all right, I know what you say. I'm, I'm going to do this, God. Okay, here we go. But not, I won't do it in love. I'm tempted to do that. We might pay our taxes because I'm supposed to pay my taxes, God. I'm cursing under my breath. I might show respect or honor with my lips, but harbor bitterness in my heart. That's why Paul writes this letter. We might do these things and feel these this way. We might feel that we have therefore fulfilled my obligation to God when I write this check cursing under my breath. I did it. There you go. I fulfilled my obligation to God. But God wants all things done in love. And to truly understand the Gospel is to want that as well. Actions without correct motives are not what He is after. This is not here to make sure you behave. Are you with me? We get the Word of God to show us that we desperately need a Savior. And it's that Savior who did all the work for us. And because of what He has done for us, God the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, transforming our heart. And when we see that, when we know that, when we sleep that, when we breathe that, when we eat that, when we talk about that around the dinner table, when we talk about the good news of Jesus, it's going to start transforming my heart. And I'm going to start loving people that uh, 10 years ago I would never love. It's about love. Paul will tell us this in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You ready for this? If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If you have this whole book memorized and you're not loving people and you're not writing your, tithe, your, your tax check in love and you're not loving your enemy, that is like a ganging symbol. It's worth nothing. It's got to be in love. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I am nothing. We are, in view of God's mercy, may we view God's mercy in such a way, may we see and understand the depths of our sinfulness, may we see and understand that I was not just a regular guy walking down the street, that I was the enemy of God, 
May we understand that God's just wrath and righteousness was over me, hanging over me, about to crush me and send me to hell forever because of my rebellious spirit towards God. May we understand that's how we were. And in God's love for me, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me and He rose me up from my spiritual grave. And may that understanding transform our hearts to love our enemies, to love our church, to love our family, to love our friends. May we see everything that we do, including writing a tax check, may we see that as an act of love. May we see all that we do, may all that we do be so shaped by the love of of God for us that we love others in every area of life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we pray. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father God, Father God, I, I just, uh, it's difficult to write sermons sometimes because you see yourself so woeful in these areas. Father, I pray we've accomplished something here today. I pray that we have lifted up the person of Jesus Christ. Your mercy, Your grace, and Your love displayed to us through Him. Father, may that be our motivation. May that shape our life. May we see that, understand the good news of Jesus, and may that transform our hearts. May we see that You have poured Your love, not just around us, but in us. Not just over us, but in our hearts. That You have not just set us adrift, but You have placed Your Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, into our hearts to live in us, to transform us. And Father, may we be so taken by Your love for us, by Your mercies for us. May we be so overwhelmed by that. May we be so joyful in that, that we see everything that we do now as a way to pay towards that debt of love we owe everyone. May we see that. May we do it in joy. And Father, as Your church... Father, may we be known for our love. Just as Paul said, Father, actions or ministries or sermons or songs done out of anything other than love falls well short and is nothing. Father, may all this church, may we be known not for our sermons, not for our music. May we be known for our love. May that be true of us. And Father, we thank You for Your love. And Father, if there's someone here who does, didn't understand that You love them, if there's someone here who thinks that You only love good people or righteous people, Father, I, I ask You, help them to see and understand what Your grace and Your mercy is all about. That Father, just as that passage we read, Father, People might die for a good person. I might sacrifice my life for a righteous man. But there's only one human being, God in flesh, who ever died for his enemy. Father, you loved us when we were unlovable. You love us still when we are unlovable. We thank you for that. Father, may our life reflect the love that you have shown us to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.